Well, good morning, everybody. We're continuing in our series, Express Yourself, this morning, um, which we're going to be in throughout the month of June, where each week we're going to look at a different emotion and how God calls us to express ourselves in helpful ways rather than harmful ways. And if you were with us last week, we talked about how uh, because of the brokenness in this world, a lot of times our emotions are also broken. And so sometimes they're deceitful and sometimes they're insightful. And so what God wants from us, instead of simply reacting to everything we feel, He wants us to reflect and respond because we can't always change what we're feeling or experiencing, but we can change how we respond to what we're feeling and how we express that to God and to other people. And this morning, I'm excited to have my beautiful wife up here, Emily, with me. Yeah, give her a round of applause. Um, And we're going to be doing this message jointly together. And um, if y'all didn't know it, Emily is a licensed associate professional counselor in the state of Georgia. And so she works with families and children every single day um, on a whole range of emotions and how to express them um, in helpful ways. And um, so we're going to be doing this together this morning. And last week, after the message, a few of you came up and were like, Jonathan, thank you so much for the introduction to emojis because I literally had no idea what an emoji was before last week. It's a foreign language. I, I don't know anything about that, never expressed myself that way. And so we thought what we'd do as we kick it off today is to give you a little tutorial if you're not familiar with emojis at all. Um, and so I have some sample messages here. Um, and so what I want you to, to do is, you know, if Emily texted me this, what, what, what do you think a good emoji response would be? Emily, you want to read this out for them? Yeah, so this says, hey, babe, dinner at 15th Street tonight? Question mark, question mark. Now, what would be an appropriate emoji response for that? A thumbs up? Yeah. Smiley face, also good. So really, ah, beautiful. So I think to really convey his excitement, he needs the smiley face with the licky lips, the pizza, and the heart, just so I can be reminded that he loves me, not just the pizza. Okay, we'll go to another one. So what if Oscar Smith texted me this on Sunday morning? This is uh, 10.25 a.m. Hey, man. Running late, not going to make it by 10.30 a.m. What would be a proper response on Sunday morning? Red face. Red face. <laughs> Shock face. Yeah, those would all be good ones. I mean, I think if I was just reacting, this is probably what I would do. Um, but you know what? Honestly, I would probably just go, I would probably just be like, all right, skip it. We're just going to pray a lot or something. And I would probably um, just give two thumbs up, which is kind of my baseline normal emoji. Um, and so, you know, God wants us to express ourselves in helpful ways rather than harmful ways. Sometimes emojis are helpful. They're kind of fun, but they can also be somewhat limiting um, when it comes to expressing ourselves. And like a lot of things we talked about last week in digital communication, a lot of times things are lost. And really, God wants more for us and from us than emojis. Yeah. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but in this emoji social media world that we live in, it seems like there's this unwritten rule that some emotions are okay to express publicly and other emotions are not. Mm. So, you know, if you're scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or something, you might see a post like this, especially if you're like my age, it feels like Every week, there's a new person getting Mm -hmm. engaged. They want to share their excitement. They want the positive affirmation. So it's okay to share exciting things that are going on. Yeah, and those get a lot of likes too, right? Yes, absolutely. But then you can also have kind of angry uh, posts on Facebook or Twitter Uh and make a face like this. Um, And, you know, people can complain about politics or about different companies or something. But, you know... 
you can express anger, you can express excitement, and you can talk about sad things going on in the world, but when it comes to expressing personal sadness or being truly vulnerable, you know, it's rare that you see a Facebook post or a tweet saying, I'm really lonely, mm. you know, mm. I'm sad right now. And I think it's this unspoken rule that there are just certain emotions that aren't okay to express publicly for some reason. Yeah, it is like a weird culture thing online if, if you're on Facebook and stuff like that. But the sad thing is a lot of times it's the same in church. We feel like if we're feeling joyful and thankful and grateful and happy, then, you know, okay, it's cool to come to church and express our praise to God. But then a lot of times, somewhere along the way, we got this message that if we're feeling sad or down um, or things aren't going well in life, that maybe we should kind of stay away and not come to church because there's not really a place for us. Mm. And, you know, the sad thing is, is that the church should be the safest place for us to come and to express ourselves and to bring everything going on in our lives here before God. Um, but a lot of times, that simply isn't the case. But God wants us to come together to bear one another's burdens. God doesn't want us to just check our lives at the door when we come in here. God wants us to come and to bring our whole selves before him and to express everything we're going through to him. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about some emotions that a lot of times don't get talked about in church or, or get avoided um, because there's a number of reasons. But this morning, we're going to be talking about hopelessness and depression. And, you know... Earlier, I said that we're, we're doing this message together because, um, you know, Emily has training in it, but we're not just doing this together because Emily has training in it. We're also doing this message together this morning um, because at different times in our lives, we've both suffered with um, depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking about hopelessness and depression can be kind of confusing because in our culture, words like sad or grief or depression get thrown around as kind of interchangeable. Mm-hmm. So... If we kind of look at what are the differences, you know, sadness, we talked a little bit last week about sadness, and that's one of those feelings that's connected to the circumstances going on around us. Um, You know, a kid might feel sad if it rains on their birthday, but then suddenly they're not sad anymore Mm -hmm. because they have ice cream cake. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really depends on what's going on around you. Grief is a little bit different. Um, Andrew Solomon is a writer who's written a lot about grief and depression, and he says that grief is explicitly reactive. So let's say you experience a loss and you feel incredibly sad, uh, and then six months later, maybe you still feel really sad, but you find yourself functioning a little bit better. That's kind of what grief looks like. Depression, on the other hand, is if you experience a loss and you're utterly devastated, and then six months later, you find yourself barely able to function at all. Hmm. Um, That's actually probably depression that was triggered by those catastrophic circumstances. Hmm. Um, So what does depression look like? If you're concerned that maybe you're depressed or someone that you love is depressed, it's not just sadness, it's not just grief. Depression is an overwhelming sense of hopelessness that doesn't go away. Uh, it's not connected to the circumstances going on around you. It's that overwhelming feeling um, of, of hopelessness that you experience every day. And uh, it's a loss of interest in things you used to do. It may look like extreme weight loss or weight gain. Uh, you could sleep all day or not sleep at all. Sometimes your sleep patterns will get disrupted. 
Um, depressed people are, are tired all the time. And it's not just that sleepy tired, it's that zapped energy um, that you just can't muster the strength to do your normal daily activities. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all exacerbated by the sense of hopelessness and worthlessness. And finally, people who are depressed often are consumed with thoughts of death or dying. Um, even if they're not actively suicidal, people who are depressed often dwell on that one topic that a lot of us try to avoid thinking about. Mm -hmm. And so when people have asked Andrew Solomon, well, isn't depression just a feeling? You know, shouldn't we all experience some level of depression? He says that actually, no, depression is what happens when our feeling system gets broken. Hmm. He says that the opposite of depression isn't happiness, it's vitality. It's hmm. that energy to be able to do what you do in your daily life and the ability to experience a wide range of emotions. Hmm. And here this morning when we're talking about depression, um, mainly we're talking about clinical depression here. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of what we're going to say will, will tie to, you know, if you're just feeling down or in a season of difficult times. But one of the things that we find is that really people have struggled with depression and hopelessness throughout all times and all cultures. Um, the challenge has been that in some cultures and sometimes it's been kind of a taboo thing to bring up that you're, you're depressed or you're feeling hopeless. Um, but thankfully, recently in the United States, there's been more openness, more of a conversation about depression and what's going on in people's lives. And, um, you know, we're beginning to see just how much this truly affects people in our families and our communities and people around us. And I'm sure you saw the news this week, right? Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain both dying by suicide. And then in follow-up stories, it was revealed that at different times in their lives, each of them had struggled with depression. Um, some of you might know Terry Bradshaw of NFL fame. Um, he struggled with depression for a time, and so now he is a leading advocate trying to raise awareness because especially among men, it can be kind of a, a taboo subject, mm -hmm. especially in the sports field. And um, one recent study from Columbia University showed that depression is on the rise in the United States, especially among young people. Mm -hmm. And so this morning, as we're talking about this, we know that there are going to be some people here who are, who are in the midst of this hopelessness and in the midst of depression. Um, but if that's not you, you likely know people who are or who will eventually face this. Um, and like I said earlier, we're doing this message because we've both um, been through those seasons. So Emily, why don't you I mean, tell people a little bit about your experience? Sure. Um, so as many of you know, my brother was killed by a distracted driver um, when I was a sophomore in college. But what I haven't often shared in church is that that was one of those cases where a devastating loss actually triggered years of depression. Mm. Um, there were times after, uh, long after would be considered a normal period of grief that I couldn't get out of bed for days at a time. Uh, I had no motivation to do any schoolwork. Mm. I failed two classes in one semester. And I really, I lost interest in doing anything except the things that would make me seem okay to other people. I didn't want anyone to worry about me, and so I put all of my energy into just keeping up appearances. And it's both kind of sad and funny that during one of my deepest seasons of depression, I was elected president of my sorority. And, <laughs> you know, I had that leadership position, but I couldn't muster the energy to take a shower before our chapter meetings. Hmm. 
I was inducted into this student leadership organization, but walking around campus, I would actively avoid people because I was just sure that if they really knew what was going on inside of me, if they really knew who I was, I wouldn't be in that organization and they would see everything that I was ashamed of. Mm, that's tough. And, and my, my experience with depression was a little bit different because it didn't have a, necessarily an inciting incident. Um, it was something that just kind of began to grow slowly over time inside of me and I began to lose interest in a lot of the things I, I used to have interest in. I began to kind of isolate myself from friends and from relationships and um, my emotions, they, they just kind of flatlined. There was no highs in my life. There weren't necessarily always lows. It was just kind of, kind of nothing. Um, and during that season, like you, um, I, I tried to put on a good face. And, and most of my friends had no idea what was going on. But they'd invite me to do stuff. I, I would tell them no. And then a lot of times I would find myself in my room just crying. Um, crying and crying out to God. And I, I felt like I was a, in a pit during that time. And one, one author says that depression can be like walking in the midst of foggy woods being lost. And, and that's really what it was like. I didn't know what was ahead of me. I didn't know what was behind me. I didn't know if I'd ever get out. I was just kind of there, um, suffering and lost. And, you know, it didn't just affect my relationship with my friends. It also affected my relationship with God. Um, because during that season, I was praying, and it felt like the prayers were just bouncing off of heaven back down. I was crying out to God, and I just felt like, there was no answer. I would go to church and, you know, people would be raising their hands and feeling like they were experiencing God's love and all these things, which is awesome, which I had done in the past, and I just felt nothing. Um, and so over time, I began to realize, okay, something's not right here. Something is different about me. Um, and my mom's here today, and I, I remember I just called her, and I just said, Mom, I'm going to a counselor. I don't know what else to do. I hadn't told anybody else. Um, and so I called her, I booked an appointment, started meeting with the counselor, which, you know, a lot of times, even in our culture today, there's a lot of weird feelings with that and shame. Um, but I started going and slowly over time, I felt like I began coming out of those woods and out of that fog. And during that season, you know, it was interesting when I finally began opening up to people and reaching out and, and letting them know a little bit of my story as I felt comfortable where people said, you know what, me too. I've experienced that too. People in my family, people in my friend group. Um, and I began to realize, look, other Christians experienced depression. I wasn't alone there as well. And when I began sharing my story with other Christians, they began pointing me to scriptures and to people in the Bible to also help show me I wasn't alone. And um, some of the scriptures that were closest to my heart during that time were from the Psalms. And in your worship uh, bulletin, we have some Psalms listed there, but the Psalms were important for me because what I came to realize is that they express the full range of human emotion. I mean, a lot of times we, we think of the Psalms and we think of praise and thanksgiving and joy because a lot of times those are the Psalms we read. But actually, when you read the whole book of Psalms, you find that a lot of times the Psalms are expressing anger and resentment and, and they're crying out to God. They're expressing that to God. And we also find that a lot of times in the Psalms, people are expressing hopelessness, um, the darkness in their life and depression. And what I came to realize over time is that, you know, these weren't signs of weakness in these people who are crying out to God or a lack of faith. They were actually signs of great faith and boldness because they were trusting that even when they, they couldn't feel God's presence in their life, they were trusting that he was listening. And they were trusting that he was big enough 
to handle exactly what they were going through and that he wanted to meet them right where they were. And so one of those Psalms was Psalm 13, where we find David crying out to God. And so I want want to read this to you, where David cries out and he says to God, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And then he continues, my clicker's not working. (laughs) Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my foes will rejoice when I fall and my enemy will say I have overcome him. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation and I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And here we we just find David being honest, expressing himself to God, trusting that God wants to meet him there in that moment. And David was saying to God, look, I can't necessarily feel your presence right now, but I'm trusting that your presence is there and that your love is never ending and it's steadfast and it's still with me. And you don't have just people like David in the Bible. You also have other characters in the Bible who experience these same things. You have people like Elijah. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. And in in 1 Kings 18, we find Elijah has just confronted a wicked king. He has just called down fire from heaven. He has just done this great miracle and seen a work of God um, like most of us have never seen in our lives. And things seem to be going really well. And then in 1 Kings 19, he gets a message that someone wants to kill him. And so then we pick up and we find this, that Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came in Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and then he came to a broom bush, he sat under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And we find him living at the highest of highs and then in the depths. We find him having a distorted view of reality and not exactly perceiving correctly what's going on. He's tired. He's isolated himself. And when he cries out to God with, with this cry, when he says, I've had enough, Lord, we almost expect God to like smack him down, right? If we were writing the story, it's probably what we put in. Or we expect God to tell him, hey, just cheer up, Elijah. Put on a good face and keep going. Or, you know what, Elijah, pray a better prayer and then I'll answer you. But God doesn't do any of that. Instead, God meets him right where he is. God's presence comes to him and God actually provides him provision through an angel. As we continue, we read this. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Mm -hmm. And so he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And here we find God sending him food and water, which isn't surprising because a lot of times when people are depressed, physical things like that, are very helpful. And then right after this story, we find 
that God speaks to Elijah, and he doesn't speak to him in fire or in an earthquake or any big sign of power. Instead, God speaks to him in the midst of silence, in that still small voice, and he reminds Elijah, I'm with you, I'm for you, and I'm not done with you yet. And when we're experiencing these things like hopelessness, and depression. God wants us, like Elijah, to open up to him, to reach out and to simply express what we're feeling to him, trusting that he's big enough to meet us. And just like Elijah, when we open up ourselves to God, God is calling out to us, whether we can hear it or not, whether we can feel it or not, he's calling out to us and he's saying, look, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you, and I'm not through with you yet either. Mm. And when we look at all of these people in the Bible, from David to Elijah to Sarah, all of these people who have experienced these emotions of despair and, and hopelessness, we find that God doesn't provide a one-size-fits-all solution. Hmm. There are no easy answers. There's no quick fix, even though that's kind of what we crave in our emoji instant gratification mm -hmm. culture. And that's because it's really complex. Depression isn't a one-size-fits-all illness. But as Jonathan said, reaching out to God and expressing what we feel to him can be really helpful. And it's also helpful to express what we're feeling to others in the midst of community. But this is really hard for people with depression. And that's because part of the illness is that it actually inhibits our ability to reach out. You know, I said before that people who have depression often feel shame for no discernible reason. Mm -hmm. They feel guilty when they have nothing to feel guilty about. But then when we live in a culture that adds to the shame by uh, judging people who feel depression, or God forbid, if we're part of a church that doesn't want to talk about it, mm -hmm. that's like throwing fertilizer on shame. Mm -hmm. And my professional hero, Brene Brown, says that secrecy, silence, and judgment are what shame needs to grow, hmm. but that shame cannot survive empathy. Hmm. So that means that when we're able to speak out loud the things that we're feeling, when we're able to name those and give words to them, they're exposed to that power of empathy when someone is there to hear us, who meets us where we are, mm -hmm and understands our perspective without judgment. And that's when shame begins to dissipate. Hmm. So today, if you are struggling with depression, I wanna tell you a few things. First, know that depression is real and that it's not because you have failed to live up to some Christian standard. Hmm. You know, if someone has told you that you just need to pray more or join another Bible study or that if you really trusted God, you wouldn't be feeling this mm. way. I want you to know that that is a lie, mm. that depression is really complex. It's not just spiritual. Mm. It's also psychological and physical and chemical. Sheila Walsh, who's a Christian author who's written extensively about her experience with depression, um, says that she not only needs daily prayer, she mm. also needs daily doses of medication, of exercise, of talking with people in community and listening mm. to God's word to kind of maintain an even keel. Mm. So that's the first thing. Second, I want you to know that you are not alone. 
The world and the church are full of people who struggle, and in no way does that disqualify you from being used by God. People throughout the Bible, throughout church history, Jonathan and I, you're in good company of Christians. Even Martin Luther struggled with depression and has still been used by God. And I want to let you know that it's okay not to be okay. Hmm. And in fact, sometimes pretending to be okay and maintaining that sense of secrecy sets that shame spiral in motion. Hmm. And that leads me to the final thing I want to say to you today, which is that if you're struggling, sometimes the best thing you can do is just take one small step towards God or towards other people. Hmm. And I know that this is really hard. Um, we talked about how depression inhibits your ability to do this, but I can speak from experience in saying that even in taking one small step, like taking a shower every day, mm. can give a depressed person a really great sense of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, taking a step towards God might look like simply asking him to meet you where you are. Because those feelings of hopelessness and despair start to lose their power when we speak them out loud and expose them to the power of Christ. So listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor depression, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm. Amen. In these verses, they remind us that God doesn't abandon us in our suffering and in any of our emotions. Instead, um, we find particularly that God identifies with us. Um, we, we see Jesus. Jesus struggled. He had despair. God identifies with us. He doesn't abandon us. He is with us, and he is for us. Mm. And um, what, would look, what would telling and, and taking a step out to, to other people look like? Sure. So it might be finally telling your spouse or a trusted friend the things that you've been feeling. Mm. Uh, it might mean picking up the phone and making that appointment with a counselor or psychiatrist that you've been avoiding. It could simply mean responding to an invitation when a friend asks you to go out of the house and do something. And, you know, if you are in a space where you feel like you're in crisis and there is no one for you to reach out to, I want to encourage you to reach out to somebody um, because we care about you and we want you to know that you're not alone. So, um, you can call 24 hours a day, the Georgia Crisis and Access Line, and we're going to have the number up on the screen for you. And those are trained professionals who are there every day to talk you through a crisis. Yeah. And so if you're suffering or you know people are, this is a great number to have um, in your phone to be a helpful resource to people. Um, because suffering with depression is hard. It's hard, it's difficult, but it's not just hard for the people who are suffering. It's also hard for their loved ones, for their family, and for the people around them. Because a lot of times, it's hard if someone in your house or someone in your friend group is suffering, it's hard to identify and really understand what's going on um, with them. It's hard to understand why, you know, if, if they know and you know that exercise might help, if going to a counselor might help, if taking a shower might help, it's hard when they don't take those steps to understand why they're not doing it. And it's hard because we want to fix people and we don't have the power to fix people. And it's hard, especially in a marriage, if one of 
you says to the other, look, I know I promised to love you, but I don't feel love right now. Those are very challenging situations. And so if you're a loved one of someone with depression, um, one of the things that you can do that's extremely helpful for people who are suffering with this is to simply reach out to them instead of waiting for them to reach out to you. Right, because as we've said, you know, part of depression inhibits their ability to reach out. So mm. meeting them where they are can be incredibly helpful. Um, and reaching out can be as simple as calling a friend and, and offering to serve them in some way mm. by cutting their grass. Or if you want to take your cue from the angel's interaction with Elijah, baking them some bread and mm. encouraging them to take a nap mm -hmm. can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, it could also mean just... Uh, keeping them involved in your life and not avoiding them because they have these negative emotions. You know, after my brother died, I felt like everyone around me knew what had happened, but people avoided me because they just didn't know what to say. Mm. And so one of the most impactful things was when a friend invited me out to dinner and just asked me, how are you doing? And that was such a gift to me and, uh, and started a, a sense of healing and opening up to other people. It could also be um, just telling them the gifts that you see in them. Depressed people often have feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness. And so if you're able to offer them words of encouragement and say the gifts that you see in them, that can be really helpful as well. Really, the bottom line is it's sharing unconditional love with people through your words and your actions. And so as you seek to love somebody with depression, I have a few tips for you guys as well. Mm. Well, as long as my mic doesn't fall down. And the first one is this. Don't show judgment, show empathy. Don't show judgment, show empathy. And sometimes when people are experiencing difficult things, it's really hard to know what to say. And I want to let you know that's okay. Sometimes the most helpful thing you can say is, wow, I don't even have words right now, but I'm just so glad that you told me. Mm. Encouraging them to keep that line of communication open. And our words should never minimize someone's suffering or try to put a silver lining around something that is truly awful. So if you feel the need to focus on something positive, try focusing on what that person means to you personally. So that's the first thing. Second is don't be simplistic, be humble. As we've said, depression can be really complex, and so the treatments can be complex as well. So it's not always as simple as just take medicine or just go to the doctor or just trust God more. Even though all those things can be helpful, mm -hmm. to make one of those things the be-all, end-all is actually extremely unhelpful. Mm. And so... Uh, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do for a friend is show them that you don't have all the answers, that you don't always know what to say. Uh, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do is watch old episodes of The Office with that <laughs> friend on Netflix, mm -hmm. and your presence is going to mean more to them than any answer you could try to give. Mm. And finally, don't smother, but be available. Mm. Some of you might be ready to reach out and call that person and make them meals and be at their beck and call 24 hours a day. But I want to caution you that to really love somebody, you need to honor your own relational limits and the limits of the other person. 
you know, God wants us to maintain boundaries while we serve others because we can't pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. And so depressed people need the space to be alone sometimes, but they also need to know that you're not going to leave them in the dust. This is kind of a paradox that, you know, when people are experiencing depression, they may need the space to process some things on their own, but the grace of knowing that your relationship is still there and that you won't abandon them. And actually, the night that my brother died, some friends gave me this gift. I sat with them in the living room, and they made me pasta and process things with me and even made me laugh a couple of times. But then when the pain became too great, I just excused myself and went to the bedroom and cried for an hour or two. And then finally, when I came back out expecting to be alone, I found all of my friends still there in the living room, Mm. just waiting to see if I needed anything. And in that moment, they really communicated God's grace to me. They were a reflection of God's love, because even though we can be free to reject it or not use it, God is always there to meet us where we are and provide what we need. Mm. And like we said earlier, we know that churches haven't always been the safest place for people to open up and say, I'm not okay. Um, But at Harvest Point, we want to be that kind of church where you can come in and you can be authentic, where you can be real, where it's okay to not be okay. We want to be a community where when you're carrying a lot of burdens in here on Sunday morning or anytime during the week, we don't add more burdens to you. But instead, we help carry your burdens and walk alongside of you. We want to be a community of hope because we know um, things like this are hard. And while depression and hopelessness are terrible, we also know that it doesn't mean God is through with you yet. Mm. It means that God is with you. It means God is still for you. And God still has more for you in this life. And when I was going through depression... Like I said earlier, I didn't know if things would ever get better or if I would ever find my way out of those woods. Um, But thanks be to God, thanks be to my counselor, thanks be to friends who loved me unconditionally, um, things eventually did get better. Um, And as they did, and as I kind of rediscovered hope for the future, I knew that God was calling me to eventually share my story um, so that, that I could help spread his hope and his love to other people. Yeah. And, you know, when I was afraid to be honest with other people, I felt God inviting me to be brutally honest with him. And so as I opened myself up to God, and as I saw that he not only accepted my grief and my hurt, but that he wanted me to express that, our relationship actually grew stronger and deeper. Mm. And the more I was able to rely on God and trust in him, the more compelled I felt to share his grace with other people. And the first time I heard Sheila Walsh speak, uh, she mentioned that she was profoundly grateful for the gift of mental illness. Mm. And honestly, I bristled at that. Mm. I was in a place where I had too much shame about my depression. I didn't see how it could ever be a gift. But then as she spoke, I realized that God had allowed her to use that experience that she's had to minister to thousands of Christians who've experienced depression just by saying, me too. Mm. And in my work as a therapist and in my life, I think I'm a much more sensitive person and empathetic person because of what I've experienced. 
And I've seen firsthand how genuine and compassionate and giving this church is. The people at Harvest Point are real. And so as we continue uh, in this journey together, I just want to encourage us to continue to be real, to offer genuine compassion and care for people, whatever they're bringing in, mm. whether it's rejoicing or despair. Mm. And we want to know, uh, let you know that if you ever need help, we're both here for you. Um, and there are so many other leaders in this church who are available to walk with you as well. Um, so as we continue to live out this journey as the people of God together, um, let's wrap, wrap up our time with a word of prayer. Um, God, we recognize that a lot of times it's not easy to talk about things like this, to acknowledge darkness in our past or in our lives or in the lives of those around us. Um, God, but we know um, that there is a lot of suffering in this world. There's a lot of people who are hurting, who are hopeless, who want to feel your love and know your love, uh, but, but don't even know where to begin. And so, God, we pray um, that you would wrap your loving arms around everyone who's going through difficult times right now, whether it's hopelessness, whether it's depression, grief, sadness. God, any of these things, we ask that you would meet them right where they were, God, and that you would give them a tangible sense of your presence. And God, we ask that you would use us as a community to be that tangible presence in people's lives. God, that we would be people who share your promises with others um, when they can't muster the strength to read them themselves. God, we pray that you would give us wisdom as we reach out to others so that we're helpful and we're not harmful. God, and we pray that you would help us as a church, help us as the people called Harvest Point, help us to be people who create a safe environment. Mm -hmm where people can come free of judgment, bringing their whole selves before you. God, the great things in their lives and the challenges in their lives. God, we thank you for this day. We praise you for who you are, that even when we can't feel your love, even when we may not believe in your love, even if we've been rejecting your love, that your love is steadfast and unfailing and is always directed toward us. God, we thank you for your goodness this day. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.